Welcome to another Climate Tech Podcast, interviews with the people trying to save us from ourselves. Imagine if you could eat food with protein that's both healthy and carbon negative. That dream is only a year or two away from coming true, thanks to Archeon, a company that's been making waves in the food industry and has been a big draw to investors, myself included. I spoke with co-founder and CEO Gregor Tegel at their US office in San Francisco. I'm Ryan Grant-Little. Thanks for listening. Gregor, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. So let me see if I've got this right. Archeon produces the building blocks of protein from just CO2 and an ancient microbe that's found at like the bottom of the sea or volcanoes or some relatively hard to reach places. So this isn't the kind of business that someone starts in a garage or a dorm room with a laptop. Give me the background on it. Yeah, you're totally right, Ryan. We are using microbes that are found in the ocean water in underwater volcanoes and that are capable of producing amino acids, the building blocks of proteins. This all came together. I assume you could also do it in a garage if you want to and if you're brave, but it definitely was different in our case. It actually was over 10 years of research, especially by my co-founder Simon, that discovered this microbe that is capable of producing all these amino acids right from CO2 and hydrogen. And it all started with Simon initially studying this microbe and the physiology, really understanding what this microbe is doing. And I think it was just five years into this research on this specific microbe that he discovered the production of all the amino acids we need in our nutrition. And uh, Simon was really looking forward and was not only fascinated by the physiology and this metabolic feature, but he was also very interested in the biotechnological exploitation of this feature. So he started understanding, can this microbe be cultured and cultivated in a bioreactor? Because that's usually, if you find a new microbe, that's the biggest issue. It does cool things, but it often cannot be cultivated to a, yeah economically feasible state. And that's how it started. Uh, we came together in collaborations, the three co-founders of Archeon, Simon, Günther, and myself, and further developed uh, this idea, this concept, brought it to maturity. And when we knew that we can cultivate it, when we knew it was economically feasible, which was around in a one-liter bioreactor setting, we kicked off Archeon in the end. So let's just walk through it. You have this ancient microbe that basically eats CO2, and then from that creates as like a, it's like bees. I don't know. What's the analogy for those of us who don't have a PhD or a postdoc? It's it's like bees, but they're, these microbes are bees and they're taking CO2 instead of like pollen. And instead of honey, they're creating amino acids that are the building blocks of proteins for food, for uh, use in all kinds of applications. But most importantly, I think for food. Yeah, I couldn't pitch our technology better than you just did. That's exactly it. These microbes produce these amino acids. They naturally like excrete them, get them out of the cell. So we are not harvesting the cell itself. We don't have to crack it open in order to retrieve our amino acids. They are outside the cell in the culture medium. And ultimately, that's where we can isolate them from, either as mixtures or as single amino acids. On the use cases, you're totally right. What Arkin is focusing on at that stage is to produce food-grade amino acids for different use cases in food. That's a huge established market. The amino acid, the global amino acid market 
is around 26 billion to date, being projected to dramatically, dramatically grow to around 50 billion by 2030. And around a third of the use cases and of this global amino acid market is in food. That goes from different applications as functional ingredients, but also much more also as a part of a nutritional ingredients. So we are talking a lot about plant proteins to replace animal proteins, which is fantastic, but we're also aware of the downsides of plant proteins when it comes to taste profiles, the beamy aftertaste of a soy or a pea protein. And that's something we want to really have solutions for with our amino acids, uh, amino acids ultimately. So one example is a protein water that we developed that has a, around 15 grams of protein, just introducing the our amino acid mixtures, and it still tastes good. So with that, we could create a protein water, to just give you one example of a use case, that is full of protein, of the proteins we need, of the compositions we need, but that is also clean label, that doesn't rely on any additives that we need to introduce to offset or mask flavors, unwanted flavors. And we can introduce nutritional functionalities, but also taste functionalities. So we have amino acids that are mixtures that taste sweet and that replace like incumbent sugars, uh, cane sugars, and so on in these applications. So, so many can, use cases to talk about. You can kind of design it. There's, I think, 21 amino acids that can go into building these types of proteins for food, if I remember correctly from your pitch deck a couple of years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I should say also that I, I'm an investor in you guys because you're basically, as far as I can tell, creating carbon negative food, right? Is it actually carbon negative? Yeah, so if we look at the value chain of Archeon, so scope one, scope two, we are we are carbon negative. Nothing on this planet is carbon negative if we consider the scope three, but this is definitely the case. So we are consuming substantial amounts of, of carbon dioxide in one large bioreactor, it would be 40,000 tons of CO2 per year. And if you scale that, if you think about large production scale, and the economies of scale, this ends up in a tremendous use up of carbon dioxide. So on a scope one and two, yes, we are carbon negative. Okay. So, and scope three being the supply chain, but indeed, if the actual work that you're doing to create protein is carbon negative, so not just carbon neutral, then, I mean, this is, why isn't this on the front page of the newspaper right now? A fantastic question. We are about to scale this technology, right? We are a startup. We just commissioned our pilot facility and we are now in the, the next years ramping up to our demo facility. And by 26, which we call internally, and I guess now also now externally, <laughs> the ramp up phase of Archean, where really we start building up the first commercial plants. Uh, this is when we actually get tangible. Why are we not in the use? We are not producing the powder that the public can use at the moment. So it comes as a like as a powder form, basically, that goes as a B2B ingredient. Can you talk about some of the numbers? What does this look like? And what does scale up mean, both in terms of like tonnages or, I don't know, veggie burgers or CO2 equivalent offset? Can you give some numbers alongside what that scale up looks like? Yeah, sure. So maybe starting with one fully scaled bioreactor, because that's always a nice unit. I mentioned before there are 40,000 tons of carbon dioxide with, that we can offset and utilize per year in one of those fully scaled bioreactors. The group let us produce around 4,000 tons of amino acids, uh, really talking about the current yields that, that we are achieving. And of course, when we think about a large scale facility, 
and a fully fledged commercial scale facility that does not only include one bioreactor, but most likely, let's say, four bioreactors. So we know that one utility, as we planned it out, can actually feed four bioreactors, which would allow us to produce around 16,000 tons of amino acids per year in one facility, offsetting also an the respective amount of carbon dioxide in that regard. So that would be close to 160,000 tons of amino acid, uh, of CO2 that we can offset in that regard. And that's one facility that's already a good share of powdered amino acids for the market. But of course, the amino acid demand is much larger and we hope to further expand in the years to come after first fully-fledged commercial scale facility. Where does It's a lot of CO2 that you need. So you're not just put a sticking a vacuum in the air. Where are you getting this from? Yeah, we are we offset industrial carbon dioxide, and there are different opportunities. We, uh, of course, one of the most purest carbon dioxide streams is biogenic CO two. If we think about bioethanol plants, we think about breweries. Those are all producing substantial amounts of carbon dioxide in a very pure grade. And we are in collaborations with different large corporates where we explore their like off streams and their carbon dioxide off streams. And also in regard, how much do they actually have to purify it for us? Because that's another thing. You usually also in the steel industry, flue gases are purified. They have to be purified and carbon dioxide is isolated from it in very high purities, which is good for the steel industry. But bioethanol plants, do they actually have to take all these substantial measures to have a carbon dioxide that is 99.999% pure, we know for Archeon definitely doesn't have to be that case in order to still be counted as food grade and be utilizable by our process. So this is where uh, we get the CO2 from. This is also the growth model of Archeon. We want to partner very early on and do it already now with carbon dioxide emitters. Uh, this is an incredible potential for companies like us, we are a carbon capture and utilization company, right? We are an amino acids producer, but how we do it is it in a CCU approach. So partnering with the carbon dioxide emitting industry is the way to move forward because this industry is strongly incentivized to offset the carbon dioxide, especially with the credit systems and tax systems potentially that are currently piling up. And they are also interested in co-investing or investing in our production facilities. So we are currently working on models how we can work together in a concerted fashion and building up production capacity and also have the support of this industry while helping this industry to offset the carbon dioxide. We'll be back in one minute. This episode is supported by Grizzle, B2B content to create and capture demand. I first met Grizzle's founder, Tom Watley, five years ago at a conference in Dublin. I was so impressed that I signed a deal with him to do all my software company's content that same evening at the pub. Remember that, Tom? Um, kinda. And they're still doing it two years after we sold the company because the new owners love Grizzle as much as I do. If you sell B2B, book 30 minutes in Tom's calendar at grizzle.io slash climate. That's G-R-I-Z-Z-L-E dot I-O slash climate. Archeon is a Vienna-based company. You're in San Francisco right now. You're, you've been traveling across the U.S. quite a bit. I wonder what the reception has been over there stateside. I know you're in North Carolina not too long ago. You're West Coast now. What are people saying there? Are people excited both kind of on the industry side, on the investment side? What's the reaction been? 
Yeah, I mean, very positive. And that's not only because of Archeon and what we are building. That's generally something, generally a trend and necessity we see on this planet, right? We have to deal with our carbon dioxide emissions. We have to deal with our GHG emissions, CO2 being a large portion of that. And what we're seeing is, of course, also in the US, even more so and more aggressively so compared to Europe, strong incentives to tackle this issue better today and yesterday than tomorrow. And what we've seen, especially in the US, if you ask me, is that the IRA is having an incredible impact on the entire industry, on the inflation entire ecosystem. Act. Yeah, the Inflation Reduction Act of the Biden-Harrison administration, which is doing fantastic things. It's on the one hand, it's incentivizing also offsetting carbon dioxide with carbon capture and storage technologies, sequestration technologies. But also with CCUs, something that we are still a bit lagging behind in Europe compared to the US. We also see strong subsidies for the green hydrogen industry and for the growing green hydrogen production industry in, in the US, which is, of course, the best case scenario for any gas fermentation company out there. It doesn't matter if it's Archeon doing anaerobic gas fermentation, so only using hydrogen and CO2 or also other gas fermentation companies. Because clearly hydrogen is a major cost contributor to our production costs. And we see huge measures there and we see a huge drive there to let these technologies grow, flourish, and to plug them into the existing ecosystem. So that's also a part why we have a satellite office here in the US, here in San Francisco. We want to be part of this drive and we want to be a part of this puzzle that needs to be built as soon as possible. What are some of the challenges that you're facing? You've, I mean, your company is only two years old. You were recently named the best place to work, basically in Austria, which is a pretty amazing, pretty amazing accolade. And you've got obviously a very strong culture. But what are the day-to-day struggles that you have right now building this company? You know, from zero to a point now where things are happening very fast. Yeah. A lot of challenges, and we like to embrace challenges. So honestly, this is also a part of the culture and why I think we have such a good culture at Archeon, because if I can say it like that, we like to embrace the suck. It's also, I think, a a healthy attitude for a startup. Challenges is all about scaling. It's about ramping up as fast as possible our production capacity. And it cannot be fast enough. Me, myself, and the entire executive team and the entire company, we would rather like to see production capacity being operational yesterday than tomorrow. We are also operating at a very fast pace, but clearly it comes with natural limitations. We have to build up also an ecosystem. So we are ultimately in a minor as a producer. We see a strong demand pull on the product side. There is a strong demand of sustainably sourced minor assets. But of course, to build that all up, it takes time. Production capacity, building up a demo facility even, this all takes time. We see all the deliveries, delivery delays on the hardware side if it comes to bioreactors and utilities. So this is something that definitely is not playing in our favor. And we that's also a reason why the pilot facility was commissioned uh, half a year later than anticipated. That's definitely one of the biggest challenges to keep up with our development speed, but also to have this facility being built. If I can name this like one challenge, it might be that one. Definitely. Do you find in, you're talking to investors quite a lot? A lot of clean tech investors were formerly kind of in the 2010s software investors, and they're used to things happening kind of faster. 
They're not used to a lot of uh, CapEx heavy things like bioreactors, which have lead times and scarcity as well. They're used to the only scarcity really being, you know, developers. I wonder to what extent you're seeing, since you have a front row seat on this, you're seeing kind of attitudes change as investors start to understand that, you know, this climate tech investment landscape is different from software. And to what extent, maybe what role you're playing in educating them as well in that? Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely different in our case. So we cannot invest 10K and have the first product on the market, the first MVP. That is definitely very different. But we see a general understanding for that different modality. And I mean, it's definitely, if you mentioned educating the space on that, we are very frank and honest about the capital requirements we have. We are very honest about the scaling risks we have. We are also very aware of that. I think we are also our greatest scrutinizer in that way. We scrutinize our entire approach and how to move forward every day and try to find the most capital that way moving forward. I think when we look back into the industry of food tech, there has been like this bull market and there has been a lot of capital being invested into piling up production capacity of different precision fermentation companies which is clearly something we don't find ourselves in anymore now. And I think it's totally good like that because we have to, it's not bootstrapping, but we have to find capitalized ways of hitting the same milestones that others had substantial capital for back in the days, still two, three, four years ago. And that is good. And that also brings investors and companies and startups like Archeon better together because we are talking now at the same level. We have a very pragmatic view on how we develop this company, how we develop and scale this company and our demands. And with being frank, being honest and talking really on one level and having a shared understanding with investors is also something I'm seeing as tremendously beneficial at the moment in the space because there is no excuse the language, but there is no fluff anymore about we are in two years, we are producing 100,000 tons of amino acids, no problem. And of course, this is all gone. This fluff is all gone. And that honestly is so much more constructive in also having conversations with investors, having conversations with corporates, because we know what we are building and we know about the importance as well. So generally, a lot of honest talking about, to sum that up, about what our capital requirements are. And it just helps. Honesty just helps. My favorite part of that answer is that you said, excuse the language and then said fluff. So I think <laughs> I think I still don't have to mark it as explicit on Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it, it has been something, in my opinion, that has really, you know, when we started incubating Archeon and I started understanding the entire area, the investment environment at the moment. I heard so many crazy, fluffy stories about how we're going to change the world and this and that. And of course, and we all want to change the world, but it takes like effort. It takes also capital, depending on what you're doing. And I think that has not been mentioned enough. And the correction that took place in the last year and last one and a half years was tremendously beneficial in that. So maybe in that regard, 
fluff is maybe yeah a harsh word and not so harsh word. Yeah, I think the correction has been good. I think we overcorrected for a little while there, and we're probably still in this period of overcorrection. It's always hard to see really good companies struggle to get their rounds in, while as you say, some of the some of the fluffy companies got some pretty good valuations a few years ago. But I think this in general is a really important correction, and, and um, it reminds me a lot. You know, as an internet entrepreneur in the late '90s. I remember in 2000, people just saying like, okay, well, the internet's over. That was, you know, it's a good experiment. Looks cool. Looked like it had some potential, but that's it. And then, you know, not exactly. Um, I just want to ask you a couple of questions or one question about kind of yourself and your motivations. So if I kind of track your adult life through education and your career, it's largely about, it's largely a quest for new technologies that can revolutionize the utilization of the planet's resources. And I wonder if this is like, do you watch a lot of superhero movies or where does this drive come from? (laughs) So (laughs) that's good. So it doesn't come from watching superhero movies. It started, I always had very good conversations back when I'm thinking with my parents on the dinner table about how we produce things on this planet. And I was educated in like thinking about things and not just accepting them. And that's when I started, it must have been around 15, 16, when I thought like, this is pretty 90s how we're producing some of those things on this planet still. And that was back in the days when I was, I don't know, it was 2005, 6, 7, 8. And I thought like there must be a smarter way, which actually drew me into and put me into studying biotechnology. And all of a sudden I was exposed to all this knowledge about how we can utilize microbes to produce things that we currently chemically synthesize or how we can actually replace that there was something I was very keen about, replace chemical synthesis and chemicals with enzymes. So that's, I got totally hooked on and that was my what my academic career was about in the end and what my PhD was about and what my postdoc was about. And beside, I also started collaborating, of course, with one of my now co-founders, didn't know that back in the days, about sustainable fermentation technologies. So ultimately, I thought like there is so many tools that we can utilize and still it's not realized in industry and in an economic setting. And I was always drawn in finding technologies, but very early on, I was really interested in the economic exploitation of those technologies because there are so many cool ways of using biology and utilize biology to produce things more sustainable on this planet. But they all have, or many of them have some bottlenecks some that hits the economic reality. And yeah, and I kept going. That's what I did in my 20s, more or less, like pursuing technologies, 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 and ultimately, one of them now being Archeon turned out to be really an economically viable approach. So it was just a fascination for how biology can aid the production of essential goods. And it's just my great passion that I developed very early on. I think I could pretty uncontroversially say that you're someone at the forefront of fighting climate change. And I wonder what excites you? What are you optimistic about in the periods ahead? The status quo. Look at what we're doing at the moment in climate change. So there are two things. The one thing is the conversations, the societal conversations that are now going on. I had this moment, I still remember, it must have been three years ago or two years ago with a friend. We went climbing up in somewhere in the south of Vienna and we were discussing about climate change as we do so often. And all of a sudden we said, 
hey, do you recognize that it's not only us now talking about climate change and accepting it and want to do something against it? It's also everyone out there, not only our bubble anymore. That was the first big excitement because I thought like, oh my God, so now it's not only me talking, now it's not only me and my bubble talking, it's everyone accepting that we have to take measures in order to mitigate climate change. That's the first cool thing that excited me back in the days and that still excites me. I'm still wondering sometimes if some people <laughs> and some societies can ignore climate change. And the second thing that excites me a lot is the transition we find ourselves in at the moment. Of course, there's the transition that is when we talk about Archeon CCUs, carbon capture and sequestration utilization, that is still pretty much in the bubble. I'm very happy when I read in the news the Austrian government is now also accepting carbon capture and sequestration as being a possible solution for the future. And generally, the energy transition we find ourselves in. I think we are, I'm not sure how, where we are and how good of a track we currently are. There's still so much to do, but we find ourselves in an exponential growth of EVs on the streets. We find ourselves in an energy transition when we talk about solar PVs that is much faster than we anticipated a few years ago. And that's what really excites me because that will unlock so many other climate mitigation technologies if we have green energy at our disposal and in abundance. And that's what I just enjoy watching and I enjoy being part of the transition as well. So super exciting. That's a great place to leave the conversation. Gregor, where's the best place for people to find you online? So LinkedIn is the best place to find me online, uh, Archeon at Archeon.bio. Everyone can reach out to us. There's a little section where you can reach out, leave us a message. If you want to be in contact with us, do it there. Um, I have to be frank, it's a much more reliable source uh, having being in contact with us because my LinkedIn is sometimes a bit crowded. So at Archie on the Buyer or at LinkedIn, you find my name there. Especially with a fundraising round coming up, you're not going to be sleeping a lot or having a lot of time for casual conversations on LinkedIn. <laughs> well, I love to have casual conversations, but they're definitely more sleep deprived than they used to be. Yeah. <laughs> Gregor, I'll let you get back to it. Thanks a lot for joining Thanks so much for having me. Thanks. Thanks for listening to another Climate Tech Podcast. It would mean a lot if you would subscribe, rate, and share this podcast. Get in touch anytime with tips and guest recommendations at hello at climatetechpod.com. Find me, Ryan Grant Little, on LinkedIn. I'll be back with another episode next week. Bye for now. <laughs>